Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Parker Gillum. This is Before the Box Score, your bowl season edition, your post-college football playoff edition, your number nine Tigers in a Cotton Bowl edition. There's just a lot of good stuff going on. It's it's a great day, great time to be a Tiger. The postseason being very kind to us. The portal just opened. Nothing too drastic happened. Parker, welcome to back to the show, and uh, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. I was about to say, I believe I've been on here once before. Uh, nice to nice to be back. I could never fill the shoes that BK leaves behind, but I will at least try my best to, you know, provide some insight that that could resemble what he did. But yeah, it's a it's a good time to be a Tiger. Transfer portal also seems like it's uh it's gained some traction, doing well there too. I mean, that's the first day, and we already had kind of a rush of guys, you know, putting their names in uh, before it even opened, and then the fourth hit, and it's just. I don't know. My entire social media timeline was just dudes leaving. Uh, you know, yep. that, that being said season. Um, and so it was, you know, it's great. I lost track of everybody who's in there. We'll take a look and figure out what's going on then. But, um, yeah, it's a whirlwind month. It's, it's the, it's the best month and the worst month for college football, just cause you have conference championships. You have the playoff, you have the bowls. You also have coach firings. You have all the commitments, the early signing period. It's all just gets smashed right into a single 31 day season. Yeah. In the award season. Yeah. And you're doing all this during all the winter holidays and then the new year, just, you know, I would say feel bad for the coaches, but that's what the money's for. They know what they're getting <laughs> yep. into, but it, it, it's a particularly sucky time of year for coaches. Uh, but it's still a great time for us. And we're going to start off with the big news of the year, week, month, whatever you want to put it. 
your number nine Missouri Tigers are going to the Cotton Bowl. That is a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, now, I know some people I've read, some people thinking that the luster is a little off because Missouri's been there three times before, back in the 40s, 2007, and then 2013. But Parker, Tigers, New Year's Six, and the opponent's Ohio State. Tell me what you're thinking right now. I mean, it's just – it's such a shiny game. It's it's a big brand name in Ohio State. Granted, we'll probably get into it a bit. They might be without roughly half their roster based on transfer portal and NFL draft declarations. But that being said, you still have an opportunity to go out there and, and really solidify yourself as one of the emerging powers in college football. If you're able to take down a team like Ohio State, you win that game in the final rankings. You can move up. I mean, potentially as high as as high as six, maybe even in the final CFP rankings, some things work out. So that that would be really incredible, I think. And on the Cotton Bowl point, yes, Mizzou has been there a couple times before. But I mean, you have to look at uh, the fan base. A is more prominent down there than any of those other New Year's Six Bowl spots. Used to it was a hot recruiting ground for Mizzou. Now they've turned it more southeast for the most part. But you're still looking at Texas for stuff like that. So I think there's a, there's a lot of benefit to playing there. It's it's a great venue every time to play in good old uh, Jerry's world. So. And I think you're getting the game against Ohio State, you know, fairly evenly matched teams. I'm interested to see Ohio State comes out, you know, post-Michigan loss, third straight. Are they really feeling down? And Ryan Day's already gone on record saying he wants to finish the season the right way from momentum to into 2024. But they, they're going to be without a lot of different players. So it's going to be interesting to see Drinkwood saying that Mizzou is more likely to have all theirs pending Rakestraw's injury status. But I, I was I was thrilled to see it. You had the worries of playing the Group of Five team. Would they go Peach Bowl Fiesta somehow? And mm-hmm. you got Ohio State, and that's that's big time. Yeah. the The worry for me was that we were somehow relegated to the kids' table against the G Five, which this year is Liberty. You know, however you feel about that school in particular, um, if you got your New Year's Six Bowl and you were playing the Libs, like you've just been relegated. And, and that's not the place you want to be. And Parker, I know you are an Oregon fan uh, from your youth. Of course, so your ducks uh, got Liberty. Uh, and, you know, you're already hearing rumors of like Bo Nix might not suit up or like a couple other guys might not suit up because, yeah, it feels kind of like a letdown, especially for a team who's going to be super jacked to be there. So I'm just glad we avoided that bullet. I'm glad Mizzou is not playing the G5 representative. Yes, that would have been cool, but Dallas is cool, too. Um, and yeah, it's a helmet game. And I think the best part about this, and you know, if you want to take this as an insult, be my guess. It's you're fine to be mad about stuff, but like, yeah, Missouri's not expected to win. Like it's because they look at the the emblem on the side of the helmet, and if they recognize it, you know, they pick you. And if you, you God, if you go up to my five-year-old and say list five college football teams, even she would mention Ohio State. Like this is this is a Tiffany brand. This is one of the bedrocks of college football's brand, culture, whatever you want to call it, is Ohio State. So this is great. <laughs> this is an opportunity to play them and beat them. I know Missouri has played them in the past. They're like 1 in 10 or something like that and because they yeah. played them in the 70s and the 90s. Um, so, you know, you're not expected to win, and that's great because, yeah, like you said, Ohio State, we've been missing like 25 players. Does Ryan Day go to the NFL? I don't know. Uh, but I do think it's really cool that Eli Drinkwitz, you know, to his transfer guys, the ones who are already in the portal, is like, hey, if you want to come with us and continue to be part of this magical team, this magical season, we would love to have you. That is rare. That is super cool. I don't know how many guys are going to take him up on it, but this is definitely – Eli is saying the right things. He is doing the right things. And it really feels like Missouri as a team 
is not only excited to be there, which is sometimes a backhanded compliment, but looking to win this game. And if, you know, Ohio State's already without their starting quarterback, one of their their third, uh, top three receivers, Marvin Harrison might not be there. Like, if you catch them looking the other way, we know this, but the world might find out that Missouri's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I know it's – it's. I'm also really interested to see in, in how the fan base – how heavily the fan base travels. Already ticket sales have kind of been through the roof. Um, sellouts, I know that the student tickets, I believe, are – a last gasp going on sale tomorrow morning, which would be Tuesday the 5th, I believe at 9 a.m. And I've got buddies that are waking up an hour before just to keep refreshing the page to make sure they can get the ticket. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I've got friends that are getting their Airbnb plans going and, you know, driving six plus hours to get down to that. I mean, it's a, it is a major event. And I wonder about the Ohio State fan base travels well, diehard fans for sure. How excited are they about this game? Is that stadium truly going to be 50-50 or are we going to see – you know, more black and gold heavy, I think would be really an incredible thing uh, to really continue to support the team. And yeah, I think the, the players all playing will also kind of encourage the the fans to show up as well. So I'm excited for that environment. I think just that that entire weekend uh, is going to be such a, even in a knock on wood, even in a close loss, you are still celebrating this season for Missouri, regardless of the oh, result yeah. of this game. Um, so I think at the bare minimum, this needs to be, us honoring and celebrating what this team has managed to accomplish when i mean i i think i wrote about it last week i I told the fans admit it you there was no chance in the world that mizzou was going to be at this spot ranked like this in a new year six bowl you didn't think that back in august here you are enjoy all of it because it comes few and far between i mean it could as terrible as it sounds plenty of teams in the past have had seasons like this it's a flash in the pan this program looks like it's building in the right uh, trajectory to the point where I don't see that happening, but you take the seasons like this when you can get them. They're special. Uh, it's surprising. You look at Missouri, you're looking across the country now. I don't. I I can't really point at the team that was a bigger surprise this season. Maybe Louisville, but they really kind of petered off towards the end too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could look at maybe some of the group of fives teams showing up, but Missouri is your surprise team of the country this season. And the Cotton Bowl is the perfect ending. Um, a historic bowl game that you've been in before you have history in against an opponent that draws in the fan base and if you win is going to demand the respect of the country nobody can ignore missouri at that point yeah I, i've i have long believed that it's it's getting to the bowl that is the statement of the season whether you win or lose I mean, obviously it's better to watch your team win a football game i understand that it's still just an exhibition game it's a cherry on top if you lose fine whatever if you win that's awesome yeah now look at us now we get to beat our chest for you know 300 days before the next game occurs so yeah it's it's the the win is already there the celebration is already there i'm completely with you on that um you know let's you brought it up let's talk about kind of this build this program under eli drinkwitz itself you mentioned the 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 dastardly term flash in the pan right like oh you know this is just a one-time thing and they're going to tumble back to earth the next year I feel like a lot of teams that fall into flash in the pan territory did so because of a specific hire of a specific recruiting class, all kind of coming to age at the same time. Maybe you have like a, a Larry Coker situation where you became the coach of a super talented team that you didn't, you didn't put together. You weren't part of it, but like you just, you, you took the reins at the right time. And then it kind of fell apart in your hands. So like a Larry Coker, like a Mark Helfrich at Oregon, if you want a local more I was gonna say him. recent yep. example of that, where you didn't do the work, but you got the benefit off of it. Not that these guys aren't qualified, but um, you have those situations. And 
you know, we people have compared the the builds of Missouri, you know, from Larry Smith into Gary Pinkle, or from Gary Pinkle into Barry Odom, or Barry Odom into Eli Drinkwitz. And, you know, for Gary, for, for certainly Eli, they were building from a pretty low point. And they didn't do it with, you know, they didn't do it with, with sleight of hand. Obviously, Gary really took off once he moved the offense to a spread with Chase Daniel, with the surprise greatest quarterback in college football history, one of them. But he's not, he didn't do it with like, like just, you know, glass and mirrors, right? It was a legitimate build. And I think Eli Drinkwitz falls into that territory too. Now, I'm, I understand that it's bad juju to talk about this while you're in the middle of it. But how did Eli do it? Well, number one, he, you know, he found a defensive coordinator that he liked. He found an offensive coordinator. He gave up play calling responsibilities. But the thing is that not only do they recruit high school really well, and we can argue about whether those guys play or not, but they lifted the recruiting profile. But really, they nailed the transfer portal. I mean, I can think of two guys that didn't really flesh out Bency Polgar because of academic reasons. You could argue Nathaniel Pete, even though he started multiple games, he had a hundred yard games. Like you got to stretch to find someone who really did not make a positive impact through the portal. And in this age where you need to find those kind of market inefficiencies as a school like Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz and the staff recognized that got really good at it. And I feel like, identifying talent is a core thing that you need to be good at in college football. And whether it's high school or portal, these guys really have figured that out. So that's why it makes me feel like it's not a flash in the pan. What do you think? And yeah, now I think I agree with you. And now we've got to the point where Drinkwitz is going on record saying, you know, I've, I'm having enough guys approach me about coming back. And I've had so many, you know, guys in the portal already reaching out, sending me their stuff to the point where I'm at a point where I can be incredibly selective. I think, he was quoted multiple times this year saying this is the first season in which he has been really be able to tell some recruits no and some transport guys no. That's the sign that you're making it as a program. So, I mean, I agree with you. I didn't flash in the pan. I I do that out there more as a possibility. This is I, I harp predominantly in being around the program kind of in person a lot. The the culture, I think it's a term that is loosely thrown around a lot in sports, but I do legitimately believe the culture from athletic department down, and I Desiree Reed Francois, I think, has done a phenomenal job, at least from my perspective, and in terms of the entire athletic department since she stepped foot in this campus. From her down, the culture across the board is so connected and united from that coaching staff to the players. It's it's hard not to want to join in on it, I think, when a lot of guys visit, um, which I think is really what the driving force in this is. Yes, you have the on-field success, the flashy offense that some guys are wanting to be a part of, uh, Blake Baker's aggressive defense. Guys really enjoy playing in. But it comes back to that culture for sure. So, yeah, by no means, I think this is the program still on an upward trajectory. Reaching 10 wins again is going to be difficult. You look at the changing landscape of the SEC, adding in Texas OU, one could argue looking at Mizzou's schedule, it maybe is overall easier, but the overall makeup of the SEC is getting more difficult. And how you adjust to that life, recruiting battles change with Texas and OU being able to claim that they're now in the SEC. So there's a lot of different things there, but you're, you're playing with house money at this point. I think the other big thing that Drinkwitz will have to do, and it's going to be difficult, and he, he's not going to be able to keep everybody, but keeping the staff together as long as he possibly can. It's not going to be forever. You know, you've already heard rumors, Kirby Moore and Blake Baker both. They're two young up-and-coming coordinators. You love them while you have them, but they're going to be destined for bigger things at some point. Mm-hmm. How long can you keep that? And then when they leave, can you maintain what they left with you? Um, that's that's going to be a big thing down the, down the pipe, but 
I, I by no means think that, you know, the portal losses that we've seen so far, I think were a lot of, a lot of high school guys that, that they brought in that either didn't pan out or got kind of butted out by some transfer portal additions, which happens when you're, when you're striving to be a program at this level, it, as terrible as it sounds, you're going to have a lot of high profile, three, four, maybe five-star guys that don't work out and have to transfer elsewhere. And that's perfectly okay because that means you've gotten to a point where you've got enough guys in front of them to where you don't need them necessarily as, as terrible as that, you know, kind of does sound, but that's a sign, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, they have these types of guys transferring every single off season because they aren't getting their time. That's a sign that Missouri is really a program that's kind of reaching that level. Not quite there yet. The biggest thing I think I will hard back on consistently throughout this off season is how do you maintain this, this level across the board, recruiting transfer portal, NIL, keeping everybody on the same page, so many coaches in the past have struggled with maintaining that year to year. Can Drinkwitz do it? That's going to be the biggest question he's kind of faced with this offseason. But I think he has all the tools to do so. For sure. You mentioned the portal losses. Let, let's let's review those real quick uh, because it's, it's not many right now, but you obviously want to anticipate more coming down. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, if you think back to last year, and I've had a couple of conversations online about this stuff, Missouri lost 25 guys in the transfer portal last year. Now, I you can go to the the transfer portal um, uh, story that I put up on RockinNation.com. You could look go to the comments. You can see every single one that I put in there in the school that they ended up at. Dom Lovett's the only one that I would say transferred up, right? Went into a program that was demonstrably better than Missouri, which was Georgia. You had seven players make a lateral transfer. So in that sense, I would say a school that's very similar to Missouri in a different conference. Okay, sixteen of those guys of those guys transferred down. 
And some of these were like community college or FCS, not just G5. And then you have one guy who's still in the portal from last year because there's nobody who wanted him. And when you look at that list of guys, you know, no, nothing against them. I mean, recruiting evaluations miss all the time. But they weren't going to play at Missouri. You know, some of these guys aren't even playing at their new school. And it's sometimes that happens. So to your point, when you look at this stuff, it's going to be guys who are buried on the depth chart that got years to play. And frankly, if you only have five years to play and you have the option to transfer somewhere for free without a penalty, why wouldn't you do it? Why would you not do that? The goal of the players in college football is to play college football. If that's not going to be the case at where you, you chose a school when you're 18, by all means, at age 19 or 20, go find that new school. Go find that new program. There is nothing wrong with that. And that is good. To your point, if Missouri is saying, yeah, go ahead, that means that they know they can replace that with somebody else either coming in or someone who's already on the depth chart. So that's a good thing. Now, again, no shot against these guys, but here are the ones that have left so far. And and Parker, we'll you know we'll do kind of a just a group analysis unless there's one that you want to pull out specifically. Um, so far, Missouri has lost uh, offensive tackle Valen Erickson, which, in my mind, not watching practice, I thought he was a logical replacement for Javon Foster, but okay, apparently not. Valen Erickson is gone. EJ and Doma Ogar, who transferred here before the transfer portal was a thing, that's how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. Um, he started at Oklahoma, came here, and he's back in the portal. Also, also thought he would be a good replacement for Xavier Delgado, a guard, but okay, whatever. Missouri also loses Max Wisner, the tight end who saw a couple of snaps this year, and that was basically it. He was a redshirt freshman. You lose Damian Wilson, a linebacker who had about 50 snaps on defense this year. Lost Xavier Simmons to the portal. He was a medical redshirt for this year. Uh, DJ Wesselak, the Ballyhooed four-star out of Boonville, Missouri, and the pass rusher who was a linebacker last year, pass rusher this year. Uh, and then, of course, Carmichael Glass, another linebacker. So there's those are the guys. And there is an overarching theme, which is linebackers. But is there anything else that, you, that kind of stands out to you, Parker, or anybody that you want to talk about specifically from that group of losses? Yeah, I mean, for me, you look at a lot of these guys, it's – it's a. It's not a ton of you know uh, local products. DJ Westlack was standing, which I think is another thing you look at. You're, you're retaining your guys that are wanting to stay home. A linebacker, you mentioned obviously when you've got two guys and Chuck Hicks just announcing that he's going to return today. Tristan Newson, you've got two guys that you're seeing to step in for Hopper and then Chad Bailey, who didn't play a whole lot this season, regardless. But still, you've got those two guys set in stone. That makes sense. Um, Max Wisner, I think, is the same deal where Norfleet just really stepped up throughout the season. You're still going to need a second tight end, so he's not playing all the time, I would imagine. But you're not going it, to – Wisner was looking for a lot more than that, obviously, and I think you're going to be able to find that secondary tight end in other places. Um, I think offensive line's the only – I don't even want to say concerning, per se, because I still think there's enough for them to reload, and I do anticipate Drinkwood's going after – I think when I was looking at it, offensive line was probably my second or third position, just overall offensive line position to need. Um, in the transfer portal, I imagine them getting at least one or two guys through there, much like they did last year. Mm-hmm. So you're not looking too concerned there. Um, I do think, you know, not keeping DJ, not keeping him kind of in the state, yes, and also just it seemed like he had such a high upside at a high school. So either misevaluation there, just a guy that wasn't able to see the field when, you know, again, edge rushers have been, it's interesting because before last season, edge rushing was looking at like one of the weaknesses of this team. It ended up figuring itself out through the portal and the move of uh, Darius Robinson over. So it's interesting losing him. I think that's the one you look at and you're like, "Mm, 
you know, wish we could have kept him. But otherwise, I really think, I mean, Damian Wilson, I thought had, had potential, but he clearly mm-hmm. just did not earn that spot over Newsom and Hicks. And at that point, what else are you going to do? So, so far, none that are too necessarily damning, but um, you know, moving forward, I think offensive line, you're going to need some guys to step in at least for depth purposes, the bare minimum um, on that front. So we'll see. It's, it, I mean, there's so much more in the transporter that's set to set to come out. I mean, as you said, my phone has been similarly just alerts all day, shiny names, people saying, Oh, this guy's rumored here, here, and here. I I'm of the opinion that you just wait until the transfer portal officially closes and you let all the dust settle and you evaluate your incoming and outgoing after that. You really can't take it on a day-by-day basis because it is changing at the drop of the yeah. hat pretty much every minute. Yeah. And and yeah, it's it's decreasing. And then there's another window that opens up after spring. So it's like this this yeah. is never done. The rosters are never done being constructed. Um yeah, I would I would agree. Wesselock is a bummer from a narrative standpoint more than anything um he seemed to be like a pure pass rusher he almost seems more like a like a three four outside linebacker rather than just a pure defensive end because like that he just rushes the quarterback which there's nothing wrong with that dudes are have made a living off of just rushing the quarterback that's one of the things that the nfl values the most but you did go into this season with like we don't really have a solid answer at pass rusher and that's the one thing he did and he couldn't get on the field couldn't do it. And then like Austin Firestone from Northwestern saw the field. Joe Moore from Arizona State saw the field. DJ Westlake couldn't see the field. Now I understand they're a little bit older, but Firestone's the same age. And like that clunky white kid got a sack and was yeah. really good in the snaps that he got. And Westlake couldn't get on the field. So like I think the the, the story was very clear there. And and I it, it, a lot of this also ends up like, where does he end up? That's gonna that's gonna influence a lot of how we feel because if he ends up at like Alabama, not saying that's gonna happen, but just for an instance, Alabama, you're gonna go, oh, how do we, how do we not hold on to that guy? We had him, but if he ends up at like, wow, well, Toledo, like a solid G five or like a Miami, Ohio, like, all right, you know, okay, that that makes sense, you know, that's probably where his skill set put him, and and he was not gonna see the field here, so that's I think that's what the ending spot affects a lot of how we look at this. And then of course, how they did. Um, and yeah, to, to your point about Damian Wilson, like God in 2000, uh, 2022. Yeah. Cause it's 2023, 2022. He played in like 10 games. He had almost like 170 snaps. Um, but it the was Georgia game. I remember he, he flashed at least a couple times. People were really talking about him heavy after that game. Yeah. But he's just, he's just inconsistent. And then Tristan Newsom shows up and, wins the job, you know, as the backup. We're like, okay, well, that was that was it. So, I mean, I think losing three linebackers is you kind of pick your head up and go, oh, that's kind of weird. I also think personally, it was just a it was just a heavy position group. It was like 10 guys, and you only have two spots that you play. So, you know, you rotate four. And I know a lot of linebackers are special teamers. Like that's a good place for you to see the field. Um, like Will Norris, he's been a special teammate for his entire career here. He's been kind of like the third or fourth linebacker uh, since he got on campus. So, I mean, you need linebackers, but also there's only two spots that really start, and you had 10 guys. So I, I think that made a lot of sense. The other position group that is very gluttonous right now are the safeties. Now, part of that is the freshman cl- class that's coming in. You have guys, who, three of them, who projected safety or another position, so we're not sure how that goes. But you could reasonably see yourself 
with Carlisle Charleston coming back, you know, for to join Dalen Carnell, which, you know, that really makes you nine deep, possibly 12 deep. Um, So, you know, that's a position where you could see some losses potentially as well. And I wouldn't sweat it. Um, But yeah, this is offensive line is going to be on every team portal shopping list every single year, no matter how good you are, because everybody needs a power five starting caliber offensive lineman that even Ohio state and Michigan and Texas and Alabama have a hole on their offensive line. Like, well, we could probably upgrade that one. So that's always going to be tough to pull out of the portal. You really can't build one. You can supplement, um, but always have that on the list. This is my point. Always have offensive linemen. If you can get one, go get that guy. Zuri got lucky last year with Cameron Johnson and Marcellus Johnson. Um, can we strike gold twice? I don't know, but that is a good one. Was there anybody who entered today that stood out to you? You go, oh, that dude needs to be a Tiger like tomorrow. Entered today? I don't know. There's been so many names going around entering today. I know. I mean, when I wrote last week, Treshawn Ward from Kansas State running back had, had announced that he was uh, – he announced last week. And I just think he's a, he's the type of guy. Started at Florida State, went to Kansas State. i unsure he would might maybe have to get a waiver to be immediately eligible. But uh, just – Never been the main guy in the backfield, but he's he's shown the flash, highly talented of high school. He's shown flashes of what he can do. And if I think if he was the featured back, I think he'd put up some really big numbers. And he's also Kansas State uses a fair amount of that stretch zone that Missouri almost exclusively uses. So he's got familiarity there. He's got good explosiveness in the edge. Cause I think at this point, when you're Missouri and you're looking at a running back, Cody Schrader's a little bit of a different kind of just entity entirely, but you're not looking for a bruiser, really. You're looking for a guy that's going to get on the outside and beat some dudes in space um, for the most part. I think that's what you need to target there. Um, so I, I running backs play the other big ones, kind of obviously with Schrader heading out and Pete, of course, as well. So I, that'll be interesting. Um, you've seen a lot of, I mean, wide receiver's not a position you need, but you've obviously got some guy. Will Shepard's a name that's been thrown out there, a guy you've seen a couple times in the SEC, a big-bodied receiver. If Theo Weiss does leave, which who knows on that front yet, might end up coming back, you might need a big-body replacement, though, that can be your red zone guy. Maybe Shepard's that guy. So we'll see on that front. Um, And, there, I mean, yeah, there was a decent amount of D-tackles off the line, and I kind of looked at, can't really pull any any names at the top of my head. But um, I guess another kind of point I did want to bring up, it kind of to your uh, take on it is when you look at the outgoing transfers and I feel like Missouri fans kind of play this game of sorts throughout this transfer portal cycle. It, when you were talking about, do they transfer up laterally or down? When you look at the seven guys that have declared already that they're going to leave, how many of those guys do you look at that are even going to transfer laterally? I mean, maybe Westlake, potentially Wilson. I don't know about the rest. I mean, EJ had the pedigree out of high school, but he's also now tried it at two stops and hasn't made it. So that's something you also have to look at with that. So interesting to see where those guys end up. That'll kind of also be a, a tell in, in how the transfer portal works out. But yeah. I do, I'm interested. I know, and people have thrown out drink, what, uh, you know, Trevor Etienne, people are saying maybe he ends up entering and that's a perfect fit as well. I mean, who knows? Dude. I mean, I don't know if he's going to end up leaving. That's, that seems like all people trying to make that happen out of thin air, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I, that'd be great. I'd be okay with that. I, running back is a place where you need, at least two guys. You can't you can't just go into a season with two freshman running backs who have barely seen the field. So like that's that's just asking for trouble. Um I would be good with Etienne. Obviously, that would be great. Um, but you need yeah, you need a guy who knows the zone blocking that Missouri does and the stretch run, right? Because Cody what Cody could do that 
Nathaniel couldn't was really get a feel for those, how those blocks developed, how those alleys showed up in the zone blocking scheme. Pete had a, a trouble with that. And he'd get hit in the backfield all the time. Cody was able to hit and go. So the guy that really stood out to me that entered today, who knows that scheme, has the Boise pedigree, Ashton Jinty, baby. That guy is he officially entered. Yeah. I didn't realize he had officially entered. Okay, interesting. That never mind. That is my number one name as well. Because I he's phenomenal. Six hours ago, Boise State uh enters uh yeah, there he is. Ashton Jainty transfer portal. So look, that's your guy. And who's our guy? Kirby Moore. Kirby, when you're going home for Christmas, go go stop by and uh, tell them to come to come to Columbia. Um, so yeah, that would be my. But but you got just two running backs. Give me two running backs. Somebody with experience. That's what I'm really looking for. Um, so yeah, we we'll, we will see how that goes. But the portal's young. <laughs> it's again just just opened up today. There can be there's going to be a lot more losses for Missouri. There's going to be a lot more entrance. I think the Missouri leaving group might be a little more quiet until after the bowl game because there's still like three or four days, I think, um, once their bowl game is done that you can still enter before it closes. So I kind of feel like more noise is going to come at that point, but I don't know. Um, Speaking of noise around Missouri football program, it's award season, right? Just listed with all the other portal season, playoff season, bowl season. It's award season, and uh, your Missouri Tigers are getting recognized for what they did this year at an unprecedented level. We're talking all SEC picks from the AP that dropped today, and boy, you want to talk about some first-team guys? Because Missouri's got some first-team guys. First of all, Cody Schrader, unanimous, unanimous AP all-SEC team. That's the first unanimous all-AP player for Eli Drinkwood since Tyler Beatty in 2021. Also a running back. Imagine that. Schrader is unanimous. You have Luther Burdum. You have Javon Foster. You have Darius Robinson. You have Chris Abrams Drain. They're all first team all SEC. You also have Cameron Johnson, our illustrious right guard who transferred in from Houston. You have Harrison Mevis. They're both second team AP all SEC. And the AP SEC coach of the year goes to Eli Drinkwitz. The head coach of your football tigers. Parker, what world are we living in where Missouri's getting recognized by the press for good things? This is incredible. Goodness, it's like they're acknowledging that Missouri exists and that it's a state and that it has a football team. It's absolutely wild uh, notion. But yeah, I mean, I think I mean I have kind of honestly one name that I really want to touch on the most here. Schrader makes complete sense. Obvious, obviously unanimous. KD, same thing. I, I mean, I could have seen him being almost unanimous as well, just based on his play throughout the year. Luther, Javon Foster, Darius Robinson, and making the move from defensive tackle to defensive end this season. And Drinkwood's talked a lot of this season about how, how committed he was to that, just to make this team better when the coaches approached him and asking him, saying, hey, we don't have a lot of experience in defensive end. We don't have a lot of returning production. You've got both of those things. And we know that you're a good enough pass rusher to where you can make it work, cut some weight. First three, four weeks, it wasn't, it wasn't until the Memphis game when I think he really started to settle into that role. Um, Johnny Walker was kind of more taking taking the reins outside up until that point. But just for him to get first team all SEC honors at a position he just moved to after playing defensive tackle for the previous couple of years and how productive he was at it. I mean, on the side, I mean, not even on the side, really the main dish for me, for him is how much of a leader and the voice of the locker room he was and just how pivotal he's been from that front. But his play on the field, I mean, 
Darius Robinson, Johnny Walker formed that great duo, yes. But I think later in the season especially, you saw D-Rob really flashing more. I think he was one of the most pivotal X-Factors to this team's success this season, just in him being able to be productive off the edge. So really impressed with that. Cameron Johnson, I think, was was great to see. I think early season, everybody saw the flags, saw the penalties, and everybody was like, oh, Cameron, every single game. But he progressed as the season went on. I think in terms of the straight-up blocking role of his job, I think he did well. He just needed to commit less fouls but um him doing that and then harrison mevis I, I i could totally see i believe was it was it reichard yeah that that was said stone reichard is i believe he's i don't know if he broke it yet but i believe he's all-time sec points leader oh geez um, at this wow. or actually he might be all-time NCAA, something like that he's all-time something at this point but does that make sense but mevis second team certainly will take it i'll see now i gotta look it up yeah, because he's he's funny because I know in the Auburn game they were talking about it. He was close to to breaking it because he's been there for a while. He's got five hundred and thirty. Oh, Riker has five hundred thirty three points. Um, so no, yeah, he's he's might a, be he's got it. He, he over he overcame Reynolds yeah. with uh, the last kick. So okay. yeah, hard for me wow. to beat that. But still pretty good nonetheless but i mean yeah i just think i mean the amount of guys again and then i didn't even touch on drinkwitz but i mean for him <laughs> to win sec coach of the year i mean again that's something you would have told S- or, uh, mizzou fans at the beginning of the year they might have laughed in your face but it's where we are now it, it is it is wild because you know you always want to give credit to a football coach for putting the program together and and, and getting getting to where it, getting all the wins even though well, Missouri was projected sixth in the SEC East, I think is what it was at the beginning of the year. I feel like, you know, when you're in sports, when you're, when you're a player, when you're a coach, you always talk about adversity, right? You got you to overcome adversity to get to where you want to go. And I don't feel like Eli Drinkwitz has had a ton of adversity. Like people calling for his job weren't really Missouri fans. <laughs> they were all on the outside. Like, oh, he might be on the hot seat just because he's two games under 500, like, you just kind of grasping at straws. I know there's always a, a, a vocal minority of any fan base that constantly wants the coach fired. And there's a vocal minority of, of every fan base that just thinks he's, you know, next, the best thing since Bear Bryant. So, like, cut those out. I feel like Missouri fan base has been pretty, pretty patient with, with Drinkwitz, pretty reasonable for the most part with, with what he's done. So, I don't feel like he's gone through a ton of adversity, but to the point that you made earlier, getting people to acknowledge that Missouri is a state with a school that has a football team is sometimes tougher than you think. And people just got to pencil in for sixth every single year. Cause it's not Vanderbilt. So I, you know, I'll give them credit to that. I, I know there's, there's, when you look at coach of the year, some people think, well, you give it to the best team, obviously. And there's a group of people that think, well, you got to give it to the coach who did the best job, um, which usually means doing more with less. And I fully subscribe to that ladder. Now, I also am a fan of a team who does more with less constantly, so I'm a little biased there, but I have no problem with this. I don't think Kirby Smart needed to win it a third time, I, I, you know, or Nick Saban to win it again. Like, I truly think that Eli Drinkwitz, given what people thought he was going to do, what he they thought this team was going to do, and what they ended up doing, that is that is the best coaching job of the year. Absolutely should have gone to him, no question about it. And I'm glad that I'm glad that he got his I'm glad he got what he deserved in the good way. And I almost I also point out just the the I think one of the biggest things that people don't look at enough as a head coach is who are you hiring? And the those the two coordinator hires he has made are have been home run hits each time. So I think you gotta look at him in that light. I think also just 
such was made. And, you know, I think a lot of this was fan created, but on Drinkwood's Drinkwood's calling the plays those first couple of years, he was there and kind of maybe being unwilling, according to some to give up those roles. Well, he did. He finally gave that up, still has a, a say in the offense for sure. So uh, he admitted himself, he still does, but handed those reins over to Kirby Moore. You saw what the product was when he still had his fingerprints on it, but he and Moore saw things similarly enough and you got a guy in there that was dedicated to it. I also credit him a lot for that and how he's been. I, I, I've seen him really develop as a coach, frankly. Still a younger guy relatively to a lot of the coaches out there. Only had that year at App State as a true head coach before this job. So he's still learning. That's that's a beautiful thing about it. He and and, and I just to, I'll bring in the other sport. And this Dennis Gates. He and Dennis Gates both in very similar spots in the sense that they have both self-admittedly said they are still really learning but it's great to be learning when you're also having success. And that's fortunately what they're, they're both doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what other awards are going to be coming down the pipe. I, I don't feel like Schrader is going to win the Doak Walker. I don't feel like Burden's going to win the Blitnikoff or anything like that. But again, recognition of like doing a good job. Uh, I know that Schrader missed out on the Heisman uh, invite for the top four. There's nothing saying he's not going to be top five or top six, but like, I don't think he was ever going to win it. <laughs> like, if again, if a running back was going to win the Heisman this year, it's going to be Ollie Gordon out of Oklahoma State, just because he has such incredible production. Um, so you know, kind of like the bowl game, right? Like, you want to win it, you want the you want to win the award, but sometimes the real reward is the fact that you're recognized in the first place, that people outside your program went, "Hey, you are good." Hey, you should ha- you should be recognized for what you've done this season. Which, again, it's been ten years since this sort of thing has happened. So, this is all good. This is you know I said at the top of the show, it's a good time to be a tiger. I mean, look look, you, you just got a New Year's Six Bowl. Your players are getting recognized for big national awards. Like seven guys on your team are all SCC. We haven't even gotten to you know all Americans, and who knows what's going to happen there. It's just Missouri's being recognized, and as a Missouri fan for my entire life, it's 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 a rarity. So we should breathe it in and enjoy it yeah i mean i feel like it's got to be i mean i'm not as well versed in the fandom but i feel like probably since 13 or 14 is probably the most guys they've had selected i would imagine if not i mean shoot maybe even more this year than than some of those teams i would i would think i mean if you're talking about ap excuse me ap all conference um the 2014 team had three guys, Shane Ray, Marcus Murphy, and Bud Sasser. The 2013 team had one, two, three, four, four guys. Michael Sam, EJ Gaines, Justin Britt, Coney Ely. To get to five first-teamers on the AP ballot, you have to go back to 2008. Wow. Jeremy Macklin, Ziggy go. Hood, Sean Weatherspoon, William Moore, Jeff Wolford. What did the seven team have? Seven had Chase Daniel, Jeremy Macklin, Adam Spiker, Lorenzo Williams, Jeremy. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. So 2007 had four. Um, no, they technically had five because Jeremy Macklin was an All American as a wide receiver and as an all purpose oh, yeah. guy. Ha <laughs> ha. Nice. So, yeah, five individuals only happened one time since. So, pretty good. There you go. So, we'll see what happens with All American. That vote comes later. Um, but. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, don't overlook that. So your team is in a great bowl. Your players are getting recognized. Everything's going great. And really, the only big negative thing I can think of 
well, at least that's Missouri adjacent, is this whole college football playoff thing that everyone seems to have an opinion on. And I, I don't know. I you you are more in tune with kind of the the national level of college football than I am at this point. I monitor it not as closely as you. So your four teams: Michigan, Alabama. Well, let me do an order: Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. And if you haven't heard, there are some shenanigans because, of course, Florida State finished undefeated, but because their quarterback is lost for the year finished fifth, I think is what it is. And we're not invited to the playoff. So the whole commotion is how can a power five team go undefeated when it's conference and not be in the playoff. That's the hullabaloo. I'm just going to clear the floor and let you talk for a little bit because my opinions are not as strong as anybody else's. What did you think when you saw that reveal? What is your worry, potential worries for the future? Since the dawn of time, it has been oh boy. most deserving, <laughs> most deserving versus Who's the best four teams? And that is the argument that everybody has until they are blue in the face. And that will always be the case as long as there is pretty much any form of committee-selected playoff in this. You factor human error into this, and that's what we sacrificed the BCS because we were sick and tired of the computers choosing everything for us. Well, now you've got humans doing it for you, and I don't think people like that as much either. When I saw the four rankings, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't think they would have the guts to do it, to leave FSU out because of how much backlash they would take for that. But it's right. Those are the four best teams in the country. I could even make a sneaky argument that Georgia is probably one of those top four, too. But they couldn't have made it. Regardless, Bama proved winning the SEC, how they finished the season. Yes, the Auburn game. That's the Iron Bowl. That's different. Uh, Bama proved they belonged in that group. Texas proved with their play throughout the season. I think when they were playing their A game, they're one of the top two teams in the country. They both proved that they belong there. Florida State. Yes, they would not have been playing with the third string in the playoff. They would have been playing with Tate Rodemaker's second string. So maybe it's a little bit different. Even with the second string, they're not one of the four best teams. You hate it. Injuries, part of the sport. It's 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 plagued so many teams throughout. The, everybody's favorite team is at a season that has been completely destroyed by injury. And you look back and you say, what if? This is almost the ultimate case of that. With Jordan Travis, they're a national championship caliber team. Without him, they do not they did not deserve it. We would have seen them walk out there, play Michigan, lose by more than likely 20 plus just because they don't have the offensive capability to do it. And I don't see their defense defense while yes, great, incredible NFL talent on the defense. They would not be dominant enough to take down another playoff team purely off their defense. So I was fine with it. I understand Florida States because what else could they have done? They could not have done anything else outside of nitpicking, maybe not gone down to North Alabama and been playing sloppy and Jordan Travis has to, you know, really, really try in that game and that gets injured. But that's, that's all kind of hypothetical. I was fine with it. I think there's no <laughs> moving into the 12 team playoff next year. There is no greater year uh, to kind of have this momentum going into, because now people are all clamoring for this 12 team playoff. I originally was against it. I've come around to it. I will go ahead and point out to all the fans that don't think this is true the 13th and 14th teams are going to be just as angry as the fifth and sixth teams are right now. Yeah. You know, there's going to be more teams in it. So they're not going to have as much of a voice probably as, as some of these more prominent uh, teams nowadays, but still going to be people pissed off at the end of the day. You're always going to be excluding someone that feels like they deserve it. I do think with the, with the selection process though, you saw it throughout the rankings, not even just the final rankings this season though. And we complained about it for years now, really. And that's just kind of what you're getting when you've got rotating committee members and they're just human. There needs to be a concrete basis of what you're evaluating on. Because we saw multiple times this season where they would rank someone 
um, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but someone above someone off the eye test, but then a couple spots lower would rank someone higher based off resume, you know, and someone higher based off head to head, but not further down the list. I believe it was, they kept Texas in front of Alabama forever, but they were putting, they put Kansas in front of Oklahoma state at one point, for instance, who Oklahoma state had previously beat, you know, there's just no continuity throughout it right now to where they're saying they've gone on the, on the whim that it is a combination of most deserving and, and, you know, who looks the best. And yes, that's fine. You can get away with that maybe for the first couple of weeks, but at a certain point you have to really choose what do I value the most? Or it seems like these past couple of years, they've really just gone to that final ranking and said, mm, we're going to throw out most of what we've done prior to this. And we're going to complete, I mean, Georgia dropping to six realistically losing by three points to Alabama should never happen. TCU last year lost to K state and still qualified for the playoff. This year was different in the sense that, I believe it was a couple weeks ago. There were still five undefeated teams, and that was it. Was the latest in the season we still had five undefeated teams, um, in you know twenty plus years, something like that. So this year was different in the fact that you had a lot stronger contenders with a lot prettier resumes than usual, made it a little bit more difficult to butt someone out. With that being said, I I, I understand the grievances. Someone out of those three teams, Bama, Texas, Florida State, all had legitimate claims. One of them was bound to get waxed by this. My point is, I I think it was Greg McElroy. Someone said it that. How do you have a playoff without an SEC team? You can't really. Deion Sanders even said, I think, too. How do you award a national championship to someone without the SEC representation? Texas was looking impressive and had beat Bama. How do you leave them out? FSU never lost. How do you leave them out? It's a pick your poison. I think that was the right poison. Yeah. There's no right answer. And the for 10 years, the committee has gotten very, very lucky that it all kind of worked itself out by conference championship week. And it was very, okay, we got our three. And really the debate was around four. And, you know, your your mileage may vary, but I always figured like the fourth team made plenty of sense every time they put them in. The problem is that you had a four-team playoff and you have five power, five power conferences. And, yeah, this year you just had undefeateds way longer than you should. November was not nearly as bloody as it usually is. So I, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Do you think this sets a precedent of it doesn't matter if you are ACC Big Twelve Pack Pack Two? Like you got to you got to look pretty and play pretty, unless you're a Big Ten or SEC. I mean, yeah, I've been of the opinion for honestly ever since this realignment wave started that we're going to get to a point five, ten years down the line where most of the college football that people care about resides in the Big Ten, the SEC, and then maybe you've got one or two strong teams from the Big 12 or ACC that plays a, somewhat of a factor in the national role. The Big Ten and the SEC are going to run this sport, and the S- and I eventually I think the SEC is going to be the true dominant force. Um, just, I mean, with the way Greg Sankey is running this and how kind of expertly and to a, to an extent ruthlessly he's kind of gone about this, the SEC is on a track to really own this sport. So I think SEC Big Ten are going to control it in the future. I'm interested to see if anybody can emerge from that new look Big 12 and become a national power. You're seeing Arizona rising up. Maybe Utah does it. Dion's at Colorado still. So maybe that can help them. ACC is very different just because they're locked into their contracts. FSU and Clemson won out. UNC wants out. That's going to be a whole ordeal that I think I'm guessing they're going to end up breaking up before that contract runs out. But we'll see on that front. Um, but I do, I, I do think SEC Big Ten are going to run most things. Thinking that twelve team playoff, you're going to see 
I mean, throwing numbers out there, probably at least three SEC teams per year and at least two to three Big Ten teams. And that's half your playoff at that point and from two conferences. And that's probably on the lower end each year. You might, I mean, you're going to have three to four SEC teams that deserve it probably every year based on the schedule they play. Clemson and Florida State have been barking about revenue sharing (laughs) for years, for years, saying that they deserve more because of what they bring to the table. And then Florida State gets the door closed on them for the playoff. So like they were already pissed off. <laughs> now you got, you know, senators writing in saying, we're going to mm-hmm. you know, have a committee to hold you accountable. And which is funny because uh, Rick Scott, who was a Senator in question, he penned a letter today uh, talking about government intervention. He was the one who signed into law that UCF, I uh, got to claim the national championship in 2017. So he, this is kind of his thing. But, you know, if you are a government representative from the state of Florida, it's a good idea to be, you know, have your finger on the pulse of football. I get that. Um, not saying he's disingenuous. I'm just saying he's doing the right thing for his constituents. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if this sets a precedent just because we go to 12 next year. And, you know, I've, I've said it a couple times on social media. I do not care about this kerfuffle. Do I feel bad for the Florida State players? Yeah, I do. Do I feel bad for Florida State, the institution? No. You had a national title 10 years ago. You're going to be fine. Maybe you go to a different conference because, you you know, hold your breath, plug your ears, take your ball and go home. Like, okay, but I don't care. You're going to have plenty of opportunities in the future, especially in a 12-team playoff. We're just picking, you know, which which historic blue blood gets to play this year. That's all we're playing. And so I, I don't particularly care. I do feel bad. For Jordan Travis, though, if he if he genuinely thinks it's all his fault and he wishes he broke his leg earlier in the year, that's disgusting. I feel really bad for him. I'm I feel bad that he feels like he's put into this spot. That sucks. Grand scheme, though, I don't care. And frankly, when you get to twelve, I mean, who's uh who's thirteen this year? Is that Oklahoma? No, yeah. they're twelve. They're twelve. Okay, so LSU. LSU yeah. would be 13th, right? Yeah, you lost three games. Don't lose three games, you'd be in the playoff. Like, the argument is just so much better when you get past yeah. weird, random four, uh, which is always the oddest number to go with. But, yeah, the argument will still be there because people are people, fans are fans, and you're always going to feel like if you were this close and shut out, oh, heart-wrenching. And it might even happen to Mizzou, so I'm already saying it ahead. It, 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 it will suck for Team 13. Team 13 probably also lost two or three games. You shouldn't do that if you want to be in the postseason. So it's it's going to be fine. Um, but, yeah, here's the thing. I'll just say Florida State got effed, but it was the right choice to, to put somebody else in there because in the end of the day, the college football playoff works for ESPN. They need to put a good product out there, flat out. And Alabama and Texas were going to be better, more competitive games than Florida State. So people are anachronistic. They make choices that do not line up consistently. That's just kind of the beauty of people. Playoff committee are people, baby. And really, see, my my theory is that the top four, really the top six in any of the playoff reveals, those are the only ones that they really think about. 8, 9, 10, all the way to 25, they're just putting them in there so like the top six have quality wins so they can justify mm-hmm. having them there. That's why it doesn't make any sense really once you got, get past 10, which it's fine. So, yeah, 
I'm going to watch the playoff regardless. Even if Florida State was in, if Alabama was in, I was going to watch it regardless because I'm a nut job that watches this stuff constantly. So they did it. They did a good job. They did a fine job, and I don't think there's going to be long-lasting repercussions. Of course, I say that now, and you know how the butterfly wings flap in college football, but it's going to be okay. Um, any last thoughts on the playoff that Missouri's not playing in this year? Missouri's <laughs> not playing in. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I. Uh, something to encourage Florida State fans, and you were pointing it out as well, but that, this is only the beginning. This was Mike Norvell's breakthrough season. This is probably the first of, you know, many more than likely for him just with how they're recruiting and kind of the, the brand. And also think about how motivated they're about to be coming out of this next season. I mean, they're going to be trying to rip people's heads off. They're going to be like, all right, we didn't win by enough. Our people got hurt. Oh, well, we're going to go out and beat everybody by 50. They're going to get Clemson at home next year. I, I can certainly see them running the table again next year. I don't know who they have in non-con, but um, they'll get Florida at home too. So, I mean, listen, I think they'll, they will be just fine at the end of the day. Last point is, yeah, notoriously the playoff has had, I can top my head. I think there's only three or four semifinals in the playoffs histories that have been really closely competitive, entertaining till the end. ESPN has been trying to fix that college ball play. has been trying to fix that. Well, you did that with these semifinals, throwing Florida state in there. You're going to get another game that people turn off by halftime. Your reviews are way down or your ratings are way down. Mm-hmm. What was the point of any of this? So I think that's that's another point. There's a lot of different factors, maybe some that shouldn't play as big of a factor as they do, but there's so much that goes into this that it's just it's impossible to analyze it, you know. I but another thing I guess you did brought up, I forgot about the I do like your point about the margin between four and five. You can nitpick that so much people aren't going to do the same thing for 12 versus 13. Cause yeah, it's going to be, you lost three games or you have this terrible loss in your resume. Like where we can't throw you any bones. So there's going to be some small arguments, but yeah. it's not going to be as heated as it is. Yeah. Plus it keeps, it keeps teams involved longer. You know, it was a yeah. fascinating season this year because just because we had so many undefeated teams, there's so many stories. There are more games that matter. In the end, isn't that what you want? You know, conference championship games shouldn't matter for something. The regular season shouldn't matter for something. And when you have so many slots open and games can be opportunities to either stay in the race or be cut out, like that's that's what you're looking for. So, yeah, it's going to be a good move. I, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but it's going to be good. And the only thing I worry about, and this is more just me selfishly, I, I think I am in the minority here, but. When that 12-team playoff goes around, I can't see bowl games existing much past that. I really, they're going to be so obsolete and people are going to be so disappointed when they're not one of those top 12. Goodbye, famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I think it's, I mean, I don't know how they, I mean, hopefully it'll, it'll stay around for a bit. I don't know. And I, I, I don't like that, but I think a lot of people in the country are already like, there's too many bowl games. Why are we doing this? I think there's a lot of value in them. I could go on a whole different tangent about that, but I, that might be one of the unfortunate collateral damage. But if that's the only one, We'll live. Yeah. The NIT still happens. The NIT still True. makes money. No one really watches it, but if your team's in it, you kind of give a crap about it. Yeah, there there are too many bulls, but there's also a lot of money behind it. So it's until the money goes bye-bye, you're really not going to – I don't think they're going to go away. But, yeah, I will miss – you know, Mayo getting dumped on coaches or Pop-Tarts being eaten, like Pop-Tart mascots being eaten, which is going to be a thing this year. It's just there's, there's very avocados to Mexico Bowl this year. It's, oh, it's great. I will say the, the one yeah. thing coaches might not like about it, so many coaches value and adore getting that extra practice time in, in December. That's something maybe some coaches are going to are gonna be missing out on if that does go to the wayside. But 
especially when you're trying to build a program up and you're like a six, seven win team looking to keep, yeah. you know, doing more that extra practice. Not going to be great, but yeah. I, that's, that is nitpicking a, a little bit. Yeah. But you know, you got recruiting that you have to do the transfer portal that you got to do. I know they still practice, but like, man, those coaches might secretly be like, Ooh, yay. I don't have <laughs> yeah. to practice anymore. Just gotta, just gotta work on holding on to the team that I put together over these past three years. <laughs> like, you know, God, again, that's what the money's for. I'm not crying for it, but you know, that's, it's tough out there, man. I didn't, there are so many different directions we can go with this college football at large on this Missouri podcast, but uh, we will we will shut it down there. Your Tigers play December 29th. They play Ohio State, which is freaking awesome. I'm going to try and be there, I'm trying to get credentialed again. They they let me do it once. I'm going to see if I can do it again. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a big dang deal, and your players are awesome, and your coach is awesome, and people are recognizing this as such. We're going to have a ton of analysis as we go, as we get closer to the end of the year on rocketnation.com, both from Parker, from myself, from Jaden, from everybody else on the football beat. We will give you as much information as we can about Ohio State and all the transfer portal additions and subtractions as we go through. Um, so stay tuned to this YouTube channel, to our website at Rocket Nation. Just listen to us, read our stuff. We're good at what we do, but that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us at Twitter. I'm at Nate Yetters. He's at Gillum underscore Parker. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation and the podcasting outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has a uh, coverage of all other teams major league baseball uh mls uh nfl whatever you want uh to listen and and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks